Hello, this is Christy Amira Harfouche, and you're listening to the Christian Harfouche Ministries podcast. We have a message for you today from Reverend John Harfouche. For more information, live broadcasts, and video teachings, connect with us online at globalrevival.com and join us every week for the Christian Harfouche Ministries podcast. Well, get your Bible in your hand and turn with me to the book of Romans. Uh, We are going to be continuing speaking uh, about the kingdom of heaven and the work that the Lord did during his earthly ministry and beyond to lay the foundation for the church, to found the church, and to appoint the first leaders of the church and to hand them the faith, the doctrine that we still carry today, it having been handed down to generation to generation all the way down to us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Romans in chapter 14. The Apostle Paul is speaking... And in verse 17, he says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. And elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 4 Uh, Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, just set the Bible down and put your hands on your spirit and repeat after me this morning. Say, I am a believer. I I have an alert mind. mind. A receptive spirit. spirit. And active faith. I want what God has for me today. And I will not leave without it. I will hear it. I will heed it. And I will change. Well, if you believe that, give the Lord a shout of victory this morning. Hallelujah. And you may be seated, uh, but remain standing on the inside. We have a lot to get over to you this morning, but it is not that complicated. Hallelujah. The simplicity of the gospel. Paul says that the kingdom of heaven is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And he says the kingdom of heaven is not in words, but in power. When he said that second thing, he was telling uh, the Corinthians that he was going to come and he was going to judge the leaders by the power that was in them and not by their words. Because the kingdom of heaven is not in words, but in power. When he talks about righteousness and peace and joy, he doesn't leave it there. 
he says, in the Holy Ghost. And what is the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost is that person, that member of the Godhead that the church received at the very birth of the church. The promise that was spoken about by first by John, well, first by the apostles in the Old Testament, and then by John, and then spoken by Jesus, our Lord, and then delivered to the church by Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We received the Holy Ghost when he told us to tarry because we were going to be endued with power. And so that power is connected to that righteousness. That power is connected to that peace. And that power is connected to that joy. Our joy is the joy of the Lord that's independent of any natural circumstance or thing. Right? Our peace is the peace that passeth understanding. That is independent from any natural thing. And our righteousness is the righteousness of Christ Jesus that he gave to us that is not based on any natural thing. So all of those and the power that is in them is in the Holy Ghost, is in the Holy Ghost that dwells in us, the church. Hallelujah. But what is, and and this is something that we spoke about in our last time together when I was with you, that the kingdom that was prophesied that Christ would set up, he did not not set up. The prophecies said that when the Messiah came, he would establish a earthly kingdom. And that kingdom was understood to mean as, and is understood throughout all the New Testament to mean God's rule on earth. Even in the Lord's prayer, when Jesus said, pray this way, he said, your will be done, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now there is a, a, end time greater fulfillment of the kingdom of heaven on earth. But how many of you know that that kingdom, that rule when Christ rules on the earth is made up of his body, the church, his body, the church that is on the earth right now and his body, the church that is in heaven with him right now. The one body that connects heaven and earth. The people that were empowered to enforce, to be ambassadors of, to be the deliverers of the will of God on earth. The rule of God on earth. We are the facilitators of it. Right? Now, this is something that we spoke a little bit about last week. We've been speaking about the pre-denominational church, the first century church, the foundation that was laid by Christ and by his apostles. Uh, um, First Corinthians, I have a, a, a wealth of scripture to get through, so you can look them up later and read them uh, if you would like. 
But uh, 1 Corinthians 3 uh, says, For we are laborers together with God. This is the Apostle Paul speaking again. He first says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Right? We're laborers together with God, speaking of himself and the apostles and the presbyters, the deacons, the bishops. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. This was, of course, Paul speaking about the founding of the church at Corinth that he did and the preaching at the church of Corinth by Apollo after he left, right? But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so it is the foundation that Jesus Christ laid, and that's the foundation that Paul said he laid. Because that foundation was not a separate foundation, it was not a separate beginning, it was not a separate body of Christ, a separate church. It was an extension of that foundation that was laid by Christ. In To the Ephesian church, Paul also said in Ephesians chapter 2, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together, groweth unto an singular holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. And so the foundation that Christ laid is the same as the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Hallelujah. Now we can see this being done in the work that Jesus did during his earthly ministry, after his resurrection. Because Jesus' earthly ministry did not end. It still has not ended. Because the body of Christ is here doing the work. Right now, this morning, here in this place, hallelujah. But his bodily earthly ministry did not end with the crucifixion. He came for 40 days and spoke to and taught and preached to the apostles to prepare them for the promise, to prepare them to receive the promise. Hallelujah. Uh, uh, You could turn with me to the book of Acts. And uh, I'm going to read you from, also from Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, Paul was speaking about the word, the foundation that he delivered to the Corinthians. And he says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, 
After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. Acts uh, recounts the same thing that Paul is talking about in its first chapter. Luke writes, uh, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Luke is continuing uh, the Gospel of Luke. This is the Gospel of Luke part two. Until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Right? Uh, Until the day he was taken up. How many of you know the day he was taken up, we just heard from Paul, was after the appearance. So even Luke is talking about everything that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up, which was 40 days after the crucifixion, right? 43 days, I guess. Um, (laughs) To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, how many of you know that if you read, if you read not just Luke's gospel, but all of the gospels, Jesus is always talking about, and the bulk of Jesus' teaching is about the kingdom of God. Right? Or the kingdom of heaven, as as Matthew puts it, right? Uh, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. Wait for the promise of the Father that I told you is coming. Wait for what I spoke to you about. And of course, it wasn't just Jesus that told us about this promise. How many of you know that the voice crying in the wilderness, the prophet John the Baptist spoke and said, the one coming after me is greater than me because he will baptize with fire in fire and power. We'll read that scripture a little later, right? And also... The prophet Joel spoke about the end times when the Lord would pour out his spirit on his handmaids and on his servants. Hallelujah. So this is the promise that they're waiting to receive, right? For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Hallelujah. Let's actually go back to John a little bit and talk about this preparation. Uh, How many of you know that Jesus said, speaking of John, that the prophet said that Isaiah would come again, and if you will receive it, he is Isaiah, right? He is the prophet that would come to prepare the way, the voice crying in the wilderness who would prepare the way for the Lord. Hallelujah? Hallelujah. Go with me to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 11. 
Now, what was John teaching? We know that we 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 know the story. Hopefully, all of us know the story um, that we know what happened with John. That Jesus came to him to be baptized. John said, "Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the whole world." And he said, "I'm not even worthy." to untie your shoes, let alone baptize you. But Jesus knew that this was what had to be fulfilled. And so he, you know, he didn't take no for an answer. And he was baptized by John, and the Lord responded by saying from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, right? And it was at that time the people that were following John began to follow after Jesus and many of Jesus' 12 were being taught by John prior to encountering Jesus. They were being taught in preparation for and looking forward to the coming one that John was talking about. John said, and this is recorded in Matthew earlier on, you don't have to go there. It says, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? And he said, I indeed, this is in verse 11 of chapter three, baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. So that is what John was preaching about the Messiah. He referred to him as the lamb that would take away the sin of the world. He referred to the kingdom of heaven coming. And he referred to the baptism by fire. John was already preaching that promise that Jesus told his disciples they had heard from him. The promise that was coming. Right? In... uh, Matthew 11, which I had you turn to, we'll start reading. Uh, Actually, we could start a little earlier than that. We'll start at the beginning. And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. So at this point, John has preached. Jesus has come. John's declared that Jesus is the one who he was speaking about. He's baptized him. There's been a confirmation of the Lord. And now Jesus is going and preaching the gospel to these cities, right? The good news of the kingdom. But John sends two of his disciples uh, because he needed to be sure that his mission was fulfilled. John has been imprisoned. Uh, the, the legal, the authorities were not particularly fans, apparently, of what he was preaching. And he sent two of his disciples and said unto them, and said unto him, Jesus, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Now, Jesus' answer to John tells us a lot. 
Because Jesus is affirming to John that he is indeed the one that's coming to bring the kingdom of heaven. That he is indeed the one that's coming to bring the promise of the baptism by fire. He says unto them, go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And so Jesus says, am I the one that you're waiting for? Look at the signs that you see. Look at the things that are happening. Look at the signs of the kingdom of heaven. You know, there's a place elsewhere where Jesus casts out a devil that was in a mute man. And that man begins to speak and everyone knew he couldn't speak because he had a devil. And so everyone marveled at it. But some of the people said, oh, he casts out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of devils, right? And Jesus said, firstly, he said, if I cast out devils by uh, Beelzebub, then who will your children cast out devils by? It's quite a threat. But he said, he said, but he said, if I cast out devils by the finger of God, then truly the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God has come upon you. So you're getting the pattern here. What are the signs? What shows the presence of God's rule on the earth? It is the power that does the will of God. Right? See, Jesus did not say to John when the question was, are you the one? Listen again to the words that I am speaking. He said the poor have the gospel preached to them. But that was only one of a great many things. Just like when he commissioned his disciples to go to the world, he didn't just say, preach the gospel to every nation. There was cast out devils. There was heal the sick. Doing the works of the Lord. Jesus said uh, before he healed the blind man, I must do the works of him that sent me. The works of God. The Bible tells us that it is not God's will that any should perish. And so if the rule of God, if the kingdom of God is on the earth, is being fulfilled on the earth, then the signs of that kingdom are the perishing going away. The signs of that kingdom are the works of the enemy being destroyed. The will of the devourer being destroyed and the will of God being fulfilled. Right? That was Jesus' calling card as the Messiah. It was his calling card as the Lord. It was look at what is happening. There were miracles 
that Jesus did that no person had ever done, no prophet had ever done. Prophets were operating in miracles from the earliest days of the the chosen people, right? But no prophet had ever done some of the miracles that Jesus did that were prophesied would be done by the one who was coming to bring the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And listen, I know, I know that there's a lot of people that want to say, well, the kingdom of heaven is about after you die. But if you have the Holy Ghost and power right now, and you've been instructed by the word of God to walk in righteousness, peace, and joy. What is that? What is that? Is that not the kingship of God? The kingdom of God? The dominion of God? So listen, I know that, the, that there's going to be some great things at the end times. But there are great things available for us right now. And without those great things, those apostles would have never reached the world in the way that they reached the world. You know, we talk about them turning the world upside down. That's a phrase that is in the Bible. By the time the word of God that we have written down was written, they were already turning the world upside down. Not by writing a book, but by power. Not by words, but by power. They were empowered to go to all the nations of the world, right? And Jesus spoke about John in, in, in Matthew 11, where we are. As they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went out for you to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went you out for to see? A prophet. Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. The first two questions are, he's, are rhetorical. He's saying you didn't go out to see a man clothed in soft raiment or a reed shaken in the wind. You went out to see a prophet. And indeed, he's a prophet and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Now, how many of you are born of women? Most of you. That's comforting. Now, how many of you know that all the prophets were born of women, that every person who has ever lived... Aside from Adam, technically, and Eve, uh, were born of women, right? But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, notwithstanding, not in, we're not even, not with, not, we're not going to mention, not mentioning here, notwithstanding, nevertheless, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, how many of you know the reason why he can say this? Because obviously, uh, those that are in the kingdom of heaven are also born of women. 
Well, the reason why is because those that are in the kingdom of heaven are those that are born again. Unless you be born again, if you only have the first birth, the birth from women, then you cannot be greater than John the Baptist who proclaimed the way for the Lord to come. But if you are born again, the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Right? (laughs) The least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. And so we're in the kingdom. We were translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. That's written in the word of God. Now, how many of you know there's not a kingdom of light and a kingdom of God that are separate from each other? These, they're describing the same thing. And so Christ established us. He established his church, and we are born again into that kingship of God. He, so he spoke about that. And not only that, there's more confirmation that this, was Je- this is what Jesus was talking about. Because later on he says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom suffereth violence. And the violent take it by force. So what is it? That John and the people that were listening to John were getting a hold of by violence. Did they get a hold of something that you can't get a hold of? Did they get a hold of something that's for the end times that then we put on hold? Is what Jesus taught lesser than what John taught? No, the people that were grabbing a hold of the kingdom of heaven... That were, that were taking it by force, were the people that were grabbing the hold of the promises of God before the price was paid. Before Jesus said, it is finished on the cross. And so they were being baptized unto repentance, unto remission of sins. There was people, listen, you know what it's like? It's exactly like that Phoenician woman who Jesus told it is not right to take the children's bread and give it to dogs, right? Because he was sent to the children and it was not her time. It had not gone to the Gentiles yet. But she said, even the dogs get the crumbs. And it was by that faith that she grabbed a hold of a miracle that was not even paid for yet because she was looking forward to that time. So if she gets that then, what do you get now? If those that were taught by John were getting a hold of the kingdom of heaven before the crucifixion had even occurred, then why are people now trying to put the kingdom of heaven in some far distant future time? Why are they trying to put the kingdom of heaven after death when the kingdom of heaven is eternal life? What does it mean when the Bible says that he gives us life and life more abundantly? Does it mean after we die? Or does it mean 
That's the promise. That's the power. That's the impartation. The kingdom suffereth violence. Listen, Peter said in the book of Acts, and you guys are very familiar with it. I'll just read it to you uh, to, to refresh your memory. It, well, the first sermon in the church, Peter said that the promise, he speaks about the promise. He says, this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my flesh I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Well, I mean, is it less the last days than it was in Peter's days? Was that the last days? And then we kind of like rewound the clock a little bit. And then there's another coming last days. It is much laster than it ever was when Peter was preaching. So, your sons and your daughters prophesying is in the last days, which was from then until now. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. None of that has any indication that it should ever end because we're still in those last days. And on my servants and my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days. How many of you are living in those days? Of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, right? And he says, he talks about Jesus, ye men of Israel, the same Jesus. David spoke about him. He goes through the whole thing. And he says, uh, uh, so then Peter says, this is in verse 38, Acts 2, 38. You don't have to go there. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise. What's the promise? Jesus called the promise the power that they were supposed to receive till you be endued with power. We know that it's not the Holy Ghost without power. And let me tell you why. The Gospel of John records that at the secret supper, in a previous time, Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost worked by the apostles. I'm sorry, sorry, by the prophets in the Old Testament. The Bible says that. It was by the Holy Ghost that all the prophecies came. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost before Pentecost ever happened. And so the endowment with power, the being clothed with power, that thing that happened on the day of Pentecost that was different from anything that any Old Testament prophet had ever walked in was different. It was different than just that. And so people say today, oh yeah, well they had the power and the signs, but we have the Holy Ghost today. We just don't need the miracles or the proof to believe that we have the Holy Ghost. 
The Old Testament prophets had the Holy Ghost. The Unless you believe that Jesus was speaking metaphor, he was like, receive ye the Holy Ghost at some point in the future when he breathed on. I personally happen to think that when Jesus says something, it happens. Because that's what we see throughout the entire uh, New Testament. Right? And so there is a, a, an endowment. There's a being endued with power that needed to happen. That was the promise. The promise couldn't have been what the prophets walked in. Because if the prophets could walk in it then, then there would be no need for the Messiah to come to bring you that promise. Because the prophets were already walking in it. But how many of you know Messiah means the anointed one, the smeared one. He was clothed in the Holy Ghost, anointed in the Holy Ghost in a way that the Old Testament prophets were not, but in a way that he made available to the people of God on the day of Pentecost, right? So uh, Peter says, receive uh, and, and having received a, wait, um, he said, I didn't read that part. Uh, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy ghost for the promise is unto you and to your children. And to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. How many of you are afar off? How many of you are even as many as the Lord our God shall call? (laughs) And so that's what Peter said about the promise. That's what Peter said about the promise. That power is something that gives us the ability to do the will of the Father in the earth. To do the work of the Father in the earth. Not just to tell people what God's will is. Because you could tell people what God's will is without actually being able to do God's will. Without a supernatural empowerment, we know for a fact that you cannot live righteously. You can have faith and please God, but you cannot fulfill the law. All men have fallen short of the glory of God. Right? Right? So without that power, you can't even do the will of God in your own life without messing up. You can strive for it. You can do an imperfect job. But what is it? See, Paul refers to those Old Testament laws as the schoolmaster. Right? It showed us that we needed something more. It showed the children that just knowing the will wasn't enough to do the will. Listen, if you walk up to a person who has a demon, and you tell them that the will of God is not for them to have that demon. 
If you walk up to a person who is blind or deaf or dumb or crippled, and you know that the will of God is not for them to be experiencing those things, and you tell them that, and that's all you have, that does not solve anything. The, the Bible talks about saying to someone who's hungry, be clothed, be fed. As if, as if the problem has been dealt with. Right? So just knowing what the will of God is, just having the word on it is not the kingdom of God. It is not the rule of God. It is not the will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven. It is not the coming of the kingdom of heaven. No, in every instance, when he said the kingdom of heaven is near or has come upon you or is here right now, it is because of the supernatural power that is changing a natural circumstance to align it with the will of God. Listen, telling someone who cannot get delivered of some kind of addiction or problem, that it's not the will of God that they should have that, is not good news. Because they can't get out of it. That's bad news. But telling them that you have the supernatural power to break that thing off of them, to cast out that devil and to imbue them with a power that will empower them to live in righteousness and joy and peace. That's good news. That is good news. Hallelujah. How many of you recognize the difference? You you have to have... You know, the Bible talks about what the Antichrist is. And that is, it says that the Antichrist is denying the power thereof. Right? Preaching the words, but denying the power thereof. That's not what Christ came to bring. That's not what he gave to his apostles. That's not what he gave to his church. And there's something that we always say and is an important part of believing the new testament and that is that the end of the church the the end goal of the church the direction that the church is going is not downward is not downward from the first century it is not a a church that at one time was imbued with life the Lord hit it with the defibrillator and it's slowly dying over the course of 2,000 years until the Lord comes to rescue it and hit it with another defibrillator. That's not what the gospel says. No, the gospel says that the Lord gave apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists for the perfecting of the saints till we all come in the unity of the faith unto a perfect man. Which means that there's a greater perfection than what the early church walked in. And what the early church walked in was already more incredible than what the church is experiencing today. So we have got some catching up to do because our end, 
the, the, the finish line of the church is greater than what the early church walked in. It is greater than that. That's not our ceiling. That's our launching pad. Hallelujah. 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 My goodness. And, and this, this, this promise, this power that we've received from the Lord, this supernatural ability, you know, listen, the Bible says to covet earnestly the best gifts. It says that not everybody prophesies and heals the sick, but it does not say that not everybody can. It says to covet earnestly the best gifts. And so the way that your heart is supposed to be when it comes to the things of God is to look at the supernatural that operated in the lives of the early church and say, I want that. I want to walk in what they walked in. Not because of pride. When, when the Lord tells you to covet something, it's not the covetousness that's sin. It's not the covetousness that says, well, why should they have that and me not have that? I'm, I'm cool. <laughs> no. He says covet earnestly and in the same way that righteous indignation is the godly version of the sin that is anger. There is a coveting a desire to go after the things of God that is the godly version of the ungodly emotion of covetousness. And so the desire isn't to rob someone else in order to enrich yourself. No, the desire is to go after those things which the Lord has promised you, which the Lord has said are available to you. Right? The Bible talks about, when it talks about the Holy Ghost, it says if you ask the Lord for the Holy Ghost, he won't give you something other than the Holy Ghost. It says if you seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be open. If you don't have a desire to operate in the supernatural, and you're not pressing into that thing, you won't do it. You won't do it because the supernatural is different than the natural. It's not going to be the natural conclusion. Oh, I need to take authority over this and cast the devil out of this person. Right? It's not the natural conclusion. In fact, the natural conclusion is usually, okay, I'm going to stay away from that person. They're a little crazy. But how many of you know, how many of you know that, you know, you don't have to be an insane person. You shouldn't be an insane person, actually. But you have to recognize that the things that were given to the church in the first century were not given an expiration date. Anywhere in the word of God. In fact, they are presented as essential for preaching the gospel. And so the Lord, the Lord is bringing back into the church in every level all the things that were lost. The Lord is correcting everything that is broken in the church today. The Lord is repairing the church 
so that the church can do what the church did in those first few centuries. So the church can reach the world, but we can't do it with just a piece of the faith. We can't do it with just a word about Jesus. We need the fullness of the faith. We need every single piece of what God gave us. Every single promise. The, the, you know, the Bible talks about the devil coming at you and fleeing seven ways. It talks about him coming at you seven ways. Seven means every way that he can. It's the number of completion. Obviously not perfect when you're talking about evil because there's nothing perfect about evil. But it means that the devil will come after you every single way that he can come after you. That he will fight the gospel from every direction that he can. So if he's going to come at you from every direction, then why would you go into battle with only one piece of the armor of God? Why would you go into battle without all of the weapons that God has given you? Without all of the power that God has given you? Because what it's about is saving people's lives. Saving people's lives from the enemy that wants to destroy them. Spiritually, in their soul, and in their body. Every part of them. Financially, the devil will try to destroy someone. He will come after people from every direction. At the same time, if he can. He'll attack their family, their health, their finances, their mind, all at once. Right? Well, how many of you know that the power that we were imbued with on the day of Pentecost solves every single one of those problems? Hallelujah. 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 And we need it. We need every bit of it. The devil has not stopped working as hard as he can in the world. And he's worked very hard in the church to convince the church that we don't need that stuff anymore. Which doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Listen, Christianity is not a retirement plan. Christianity is a mission. Christianity is a job. Christianity is a call. It's a work you do, not a retirement plan you look forward to. Hallelujah. Well, let's talk about this uh, a little bit. I want to talk to you about something in particular that we see in the word of God that I touched on last week, but I want to go into a little bit more in depth. Let's rewind a little bit in the book of Acts and look at the time before the Holy Ghost fell on the people of God, right? We have, uh, uh, we have the people being sent to tarry in Jerusalem in order to receive the promise. At this point, Peter has already been reconciled to Jesus, Right? When he was out fishing and Jesus was on the shore and somehow was cooking fish without any way of catching fish. We don't know if he called those fish out of the ocean or if he created those fish. We really don't know where those fish came from, but he had them, right? Uh, And in chapter 1 and uh, 
verse 13. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room. Now, this upper room is the upper room in the house of John Mark. It is the same place where Jesus had the secret supper with them, right? Prior to his crucifixion. Uh, They went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zealot and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Hallelujah. Got the women in there praying too. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained a part of this ministry. A part of this ministry. Now this man, now I'm not going to go into the details. He died very horribly. Because he betrayed Jesus to those that wanted to kill Jesus, right? But Peter says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, Beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. Hallelujah. That word witness, by the way, is the word martyr. That's where the word martyr comes from. It means a witness. Um, so, a couple of things. Jesus said something interesting to the disciples. In uh, Matthew chapter 19, I'll read it to you. Then answered Peter, so this is the same man who's talking in Acts, speaking to Jesus. Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, or truly, I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the generation, when the son, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall, shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And so the twelve had a special call and a special place, and a special lot, a special part in the ministry. You know, the word part that is in that scripture when Peter says he had obtained a part of this ministry is the word kleros, where we get the word cleric, 
right? A part, a, a, a position, a piece of the pie, as it were. There were 12 of them that had a special call that they needed to fulfill, and there needed to be 12 of them to fulfill it. And it was prophesied by David. It was prophesied that one of them would fall away, that his habitation would be desolate, and that another would have to be ordained to take his bishopric. Now, this is interesting because you've got to understand, we might have different books in the Bible, but they're written by the same group of people. And when they use a word for something, they use that word elsewhere as well. This is the 12 apostles, right? This is the 12 apostles. Um, By the way, another passage, which is Luke, has the conversation, and it says, And I appoint unto you a kingdom, he said to the 12 apostles. I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me. What kingdom is that? That ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So Peter, who was in on this conversation, was aware of the special call for the 12. The 12 apostles, right? The 12 apostles... It's also very interesting to note that those 12 apostles referred to their position, actually David prophesying, referred to their position as a bishopric. As an episcopate is the word in Greek, which is where we get episcopo, which somehow evolved into the word bishop over time. But it's the same word, right? Episcop, bishop, biscop. I, words are weird. They change a lot over time. But, right? but it's the same word. English is very rough with that. Uh, something that I always bring up and my family finds hilarious is that the word goodbye is God be with you. So at some point, God be with you was shortened and morphed until it eventually became goodbye, which sounds nothing like God be with you, but we say it every single day with absolutely no understanding of what that word is, right? So episcopo transformed into bishop. But it's interesting that the apostles' positions are referred to as episcopates. The place that they have in the church is referred to as an episcopate, a bishopric. And that those same apostles then went and appointed bishops. They appointed people to the episcopacy in churches. Now, what does that word mean? It's a Greek word. It just means overseer. Overseership. Right? Someone who's a bishop is an overseer. And so they went and appointed overseers. Just like they appointed servants, which is what deacon means, or minister. They appointed ministers and they appointed 
elders and overseers, which should be completely and totally recognizable to anyone who's ever been part of any kind of organization, right? You have to have uh, your elders and your overseers and your ministers, (laughs) right? But in this case, it was a supernatural organization. In fact, it was a kingdom which Christ said, I appoint to you as God appointed it to me so that you can sit at my table. You can sit at my table in my kingdom. And what does he define as that? He defines that as the seats, as the place of authority of the 12 apostles. And so it shouldn't come as any surprise that the apostles then appointed bishops who were the successors of those apostles, overseers. In fact, it was a necessity because the church spread so dramatically over the face of the earth so quickly that there was no way that one group of empowered individuals could reach that church. And the empowerment was not only given to the twelve. The empowerment was not only given to the 120. The empowerment was not only given to the 500 and not only given to the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. No, the promise was to them and their children, even those that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so you have an empowerment, but you also have a ordainment into a place of authority. Those 500 that Jesus appeared to, Jesus personally and bodily appeared to. And he didn't just like, peekaboo, it's Jesus, and then leave. (laughs) He didn't just appear and hang out, right? He ate with them, but he taught them. He spent 40 days showing himself alive with infallible proofs and teaching them all the things in the scriptures concerning himself. He taught them about the kingdom. He taught them about who he was. He taught them all of that. Listen, we talk about how the church continued in the apostles' doctrine. Who taught the apostles their doctrine? Jesus did, not only during his three and a half years before the crucifixion, but during those 40 days after the crucifixion and through the agency of the Holy Spirit, he inspired the preachers and ministers and prophets and eventually the writers that put on record the New Testament that is the word of God. But it wasn't only that. It wasn't only that. But listen, why do I mention the 500? Because the 500 had, can you imagine Jesus personally showing up bodily and spending time with you and pulling out the Old Testament scriptures and showing you what they mean? Do you think that you would probably have a pretty good idea Do you think Jesus would be the best teacher that you could possibly receive? Do you think you would ever forget or ever lose 
what he imparted to you in that experience. So you would believe that those 500 people had a very special relationship with God for God to personally appear to them. Jesus spoke to and preached to multitudes of hundreds of thousands of people all over that region, but he didn't personally appear to all of them. He personally appeared to those 500, and he taught them, and they were there at his ascension. They saw Jesus bodily caught up to heaven. They were told to go and tarry so that they could be imbued with power. So they, they were probably doing pretty good. Right? But we see something very interesting when it comes time to appoint a new apostle to ordain an apostle. We see Peter say, Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, people that were with us from the beginning of Christ's ministry, right? beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. Now, were the 500 witnesses of his resurrection? They were literally, by definition, witnesses of his resurrection. They saw his ascension. They saw him walking in his resurrection. But then it says... And they appointed two. Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And so from those 500, how come all 500 of those people weren't chosen by them as candidates? You know, we have a very weird way of thinking in the Christian church today. You have people that say, oh, well, I have the Bible, so I don't need an apostle. I don't need an overseer. I don't need a pastor. I don't need a leader because the Lord gave me the Bible. Don't you realize that those 500 people had more of an excuse to say that than any person alive today? Because if, if you said, Jesus appeared to me bodily and taught me out of the Bible what it means, you've got a better claim that you don't need anyone else to tell you what it means. You've got a better claim that you don't, I, listen, Jesus knows where I live. He literally showed up at my house bodily. Right? They've got a greater claim than any person being alive today that they don't need an apostle. If the Holy Ghost was about to be delivered and the need for any kind of leadership in the church was about to be abolished, then why was Peter replacing Judas? 
Why did the Holy Ghost prophesy in the Old Testament that he needed to be replaced? It was not because the 12 would be the ones with power. Because that distinction is not made by the New Testament. There is no point in which the 12 are communicated to be the ones with power. We talked about this last week and I told you that there are some people that say that the apostles missed it. And that they should not have done that. And they should have waited for the Holy Ghost to come. Can you believe that? Can you believe someone looking back at Peter and James and John and all the people that were taught by Jesus during his earthly ministry and after his resurrection and saying, they know less about God than I do. They know less about the church than I do. Me living 2,000 years later... I know better than those 11 guys that walked and lived with Jesus before and after his resurrection. Jesus, was Jesus up in heaven like, man, I just spent 40 days showing them all the things concerning myself in the Bible. I, I breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. What are they doing? No, but I've heard people make that argument. And they say, oh, Matthias was man's appointee to the 12th position of apostle. Paul was God's appointee. Well, we know that's not true. Why? Because the 12 had a commission to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, of course, we also have to get into the fact that Paul was laid hands on by the presbytery that was appointed by the apostles and ordained to go into the ministry as an apostle before he went. So even though God called him to be an apostle, he still served in the house until he was ordained to go out as an apostle. Okay. Right? (laughs) Right? But, I mean, this is interesting. This is interesting for a lot of reasons. It's interesting because what happened was they, they, they got together the two candidates and the people put in their lots And the lots were drawn, and it was Matthias. Now, the lots is something that we don't actually know a lot about. But, (laughs) right? How it was done, it's similar to like the Urim and Thummim in the Old Testament that literally no one knows what that is. And there's a lot of like speculation and people trying to reconstruct. But it was a method of determining the will of God in the Old Testament temple. And so when you look at, uh, uh, when you look at the Gospels and it talks about Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, who was serving in the temple right? Who was a priest in the temple. They say in that passage, they would take lots to see who would do what thing. Essentially what your lot was, what your job was. You needed to find out who was going to enter into the Holy of Holies and not die. And so you had a method of determining what God's will was. Well, this is important for a couple of reasons. We know it's important because it's recorded. Because the the book of Acts could have just as well said, and it was determined that Matthias was the one and not explained how. This was the last time 
that the lots were used to determine the priestly position of a person. After this, the Holy Ghost came in power and the methodology of determining who was called to fulfill certain actions changed. And so in this moment of preparation, the church had to be made whole so that they could receive that power so that they could receive that next step so that the promise of the kingdom could be fulfilled and the promise of the kingdom of the 12 could be fulfilled. And so they appointed before the Holy Ghost came, they filled the gap, they repaired the breach and that for one final time in the temple of God, The position was determined by the Old Testament lot. And then the Holy Ghost came. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen, I just want to... Dr. Harfouche told me that. He told me everything I know, but I'm just telling you, Dr. Harfouche told me that. I don't want to take any credit for that. I I was as excited about it as you guys are. I was I praise the Lord. And, and, and listen, if you're in first century discipleship, if you're, if you're going to be with Dr. Harfouche this Thursday, you'll probably get a little bit more of that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But how, how incredible is that? How incredible is that? Listen, Jesus said at the beginning of his ministry, the first sermon he ever preached... <laughs> was like, what, nine words? Jesus got up in the synagogue after, after he came back with power. I mean, he obviously discussed the word of the Lord with many people from a young age. I can relate to 12-year-old Jesus uh, d- disputing with the priests because I was probably that annoying when I was 12 as well. My teachers did not want to answer me when I raised my hand in Bible class. (laughs) I feel you, Jesus. But after he came back, turn with me. We'll go to Luke. In Luke and chapter 4. And verse 17, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit, so he reads a scripture. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. (laughs) And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, 
This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. That's quite a sermon. The acceptable year of the Lord has come. Deliverance to the captives. Delivery of sight to the blind. Right? Liberty for them that are bruised. The gospel being preached to the poor. Tell me, is any of that familiar to you guys as the Great Commission? Is any of that familiar to you guys as the mission that he handed to us? So can we all recognize that the acceptable year of the Lord was not just 29 AD? Right? The acceptable year of the Lord. You want to talk about the kingdom of heaven? Let's talk about this. Did you know we have a very peculiar calendar these days because there's 2,000 years on it? Right? And the the description of that year is the year 2020, right? Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. You got the acceptable year of the Lord on your calendar. It's numbered 2020 of the acceptable year of the Lord, right? But do you know how they used to count years? They used to count years in Jesus' time and prior by the king who was in power at the time. You can see it in the Bible. It says in the such and such year of Tiberius, in the such and such year of Trojan, in the such and such year of Caesar. And so whoever the king was of the kingdom that you were in was the year that you counted from when he came in as king. And it is the year 2020. In the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thanks for joining us on the Christian Harfouche Ministries podcast. Join us on our other podcast, Miracles Today. Connect with us at globalrevival.com and we'll see you next week.